Welcome to Convention Pulpit, Wesleyan Voices Past and Present, brought to you through the Ministry of Inner Church Holiness Convention. Visit our website for an entire library of great sermons and more information on this ministry, www.ihconvention.com. Stephen Manley has given his entire life to the ministry of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He has served capably as a pastor, an evangelist, a missionary leader, and even a conference president. This sermon was preached back in 2001 at the Salem, Ohio Wesleyan Methodist Church, and he titles it, Reconciliation Through Soul Winning. You're sure to enjoy this wonderful message. The subject this evening is an extremely important one, one that's sad to say in too many of our holiness circles is a neglected one, that of winning the lost, that of reaching out with this good news. Too many times I fear that we're like those poor lepers who kept the spoil to themselves, and then they realized their error and said, we do air. <laughs> there are people that are starving in the city. We need to tell them where the bread's at. <laughs> and certainly we need to share this wonderful message. I direct your attention to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 4, this evening. Verses 18 through 22. Familiar words to us, no doubt. The Master's walking by the seaside. Would have been a wonderful privilege to have been alive when he was in the flesh, wouldn't it? To have actually beheld him with our natural eyes. But thank God we have the written word. Matthew chapter 4 and verse 18. And Jesus walking by the sea of Galilee saw two brethren, Simon called Peter and Andrew's brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishers. And he saith unto them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. They straightway left their nets and followed him. And going from Thence he saw two other brethren, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the ship with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets, and he called them. And they immediately left the ship and their father and followed him. Mark's rendition in Mark chapter 1 and verse 17 is slightly different. And it says there, Jesus said unto them, Come ye after me, and I will make you to become fishers of men. Come ye after me, and I will make you to become fishers of men. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you this evening for your wonderful presence and blessing that has been upon this year's Ministerial Institute. We realize God has stirred us with the truth, and God has challenged us through your servants, that this is the final service, and once again we need the touch of God. We ask now that you would help us, that we might... Hear what the Holy Ghost has for us. 
And Lord, we pray you touch our hearts and our minds uh, that we might go forth to win the lost at any cost. In Jesus' name, amen. Come ye after me, and I will make you to become fishers of men. I suppose many in this congregation have gone fishing at least on a few occasions. These men were commercial fishermen. It was the livelihood that they had. They fished for a living. They sold the fish. Their father was a fisherman, and they were taught the trade. And they, too, had learned how important it was to be able to fish to earn a living. Someone has said that if you teach a man, or you give a man a fish, you'll meet his need for a day. But if you teach a man to fish, then you'll, he'll be able to provide for himself for a lifetime. I'm looking for that instructor. If he happens to be here tonight, I'd like to uh, get better acquainted with him. Because if I was dependent upon my fishing skills, uh, there would be days that I would have gone hungry. <laughs> Because I'm just not that good of a fisher. I have tried at times and have enjoyed the times of good catches. My father taught me how to fish as a small boy. I vividly remember that, that time, that probably the very first time that he took me fishing. I was a preschooler and my dad said, Would you like to go fishing with me in the morning? And it was a very rapid response. Yes, I'd love to go. And I remember how that my father called me the next morning, very early in the morning, said, Steve, do you still want to go fishing? It didn't take me long to get dressed and get to the breakfast table. Mother was still sleeping, uh, so Dad fried the eggs that morning. Now, he didn't fry them like Mother did. Uh, they had kind of black and brown around the edges because the fire was too hot. He didn't bother to bake toast. He just used bread, and Mother never did it that way. But I was going fishing with Dad, and it didn't really matter all that much what we had for breakfast. I vividly remember how that he took his pocket knife out when we got to the little creek and cut a little willow sapling and then got a piece of string with a cork attached to it and a hook on the end of the line and put a worm on it and I began to fish. I really don't remember whether I caught any fish that day or not, but I do vividly remember that scene of going fishing with my dad for the first time. James and John, they'd gone fishing with their dad many times. They'd caught some big ones and they'd caught some small ones. But now one passes by who says, I want to make you a different kind of fisherman. I want to teach you how to fish for men. And might I say that even though some of us have been trying to catch fish for a long time, the master fisherman can still teach us some lessons about catching men. I notice in this passage of Scripture, first of all, he says, Come ye after me. That signifies there's something to be done by us. He must be in the place of leadership. We must be the follower. If you're going to learn, it's always best to be submissive to the one who knows more about it than you do. And he certainly knows far more about soul winning than any of us do. He must be first. We must be second. Matthew 6, 24 says, No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Jesus wants first place in our life. We must surrender to his lordship if we would be fishers of men. Back in May of 1999, my neighbor asked me to go fishing with him. He said, they're really biting right now. 
He said, I'll take you to where you'll catch the biggest bluegill you've ever laid eyes on. Now, a lot of people consider bluegill to be an inferior fish, and that's something that the kids fish for. But Dusty was really excited, and he began to tell me about how many of those big bluegill they'd been catching and how large they were. Now, he said one thing about it. He said, you can't tell anybody where you go. You can't take anybody back there. But if you promise those two things, that you'll go with me, you won't tell anybody where we went fishing, and you'll forget where you went, you can go with me tomorrow. Well, on May the 18th, 1999, it began to rain that morning. He said, you still want to go? I said, I've got the day already marked off. I want to go. And so we loaded the boat into his old dilapidated Ford pickup truck, and we headed to that place that I was supposed to forget about once we got there. And sure enough, he knew how to catch those large spawning bluegill in that rock quarry. He told me how to do it. He said, don't use a cork. He said, just take this worm, put it on the hook. And you see those holes out there where they're spawning? He said, you cast across that, and you bring that bait right across that little hole there where those fish are spawning. And he said, you'll catch some of those great big bluegill. Well, I listened. I was obedient. And I watched him begin to do just exactly what he told me to do. And it wasn't long until we were catching those large bluegill. They were, some of them, 10 inches long and 5 inches thick. And if you don't believe me, I've got pictures in my Bible to prove it. (laughs) They were indeed the biggest bluegill I had ever seen in my life. And that morning... We caught 49 of those real nice big bluegill. Dusty said, you can have them all. And all afternoon I spent dressing all of those bluegill. It was a great day. I'd never caught a one if I hadn't been submissive to Dusty. He knew how to do it. He knew where to go. He told me just what method to use. And when it comes to winning souls, we're going to have to be submissive to the great soul winner. We can read after great authors and we can study their methods and their plans, but the greatest of all soul winners and the greatest of all fishers is our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And he said to those disciples, come after me. And then I notice further he said, I will make you to become. Something is to be done by him. He said, I will make you to become. I will develop you. (laughs) I'm glad for a patient, loving, heavenly Father. I'm thankful for a compassionate Savior, aren't you? You've ever taken your children fishing. You know how how much patience it takes. (laughs) You know, especially if you start when they're real little, that's the way I was taught, and that's the way I taught my children. You don't get much fishing done when you take children fishing. But oh, if they can catch a few, (laughs) you're well rewarded. And I remember those times when I'd take Brenda and John, and at first, you know, they they always had Daddy to put the worm on on the hook. And then Daddy always had to take the fish off the hook. And and it was a lot of work, and I really didn't get much fishing done. 
But by and by, especially the boys, <laughs> could outfish their dad, caught bigger, better, nicer, more fish than dad. But Jesus wants to teach us to be fishers of men. He wants us to become. He wants us to develop. And if our skills are weak tonight, he wants us to develop better skills that we might be fishers of men. It's much like the potter who takes the clay and molds it and develops it into a vessel. And God can develop you into being a good witness for him. I think about some people that we would look upon as being perhaps the least likely to succeed. There was Bud Robinson, stuttered so pathetically that the Methodist Conference was hesitant to even give him a preacher's license. They, they just didn't know whether he would, would be able to preach at all. Surely a man with his impediment and his lack of skill, surely he couldn't be a soul winner. Certainly he couldn't be a minister. But when they finally consented to give him a local license and he went out to preach and he came back that first year at conference, he had won more souls to Christ than any other minister in that district. You see, it isn't always our skills, but it's our submission to the one who can make us to become. He can make us to develop and to be what he wants us to be. For three years, Jesus gave himself to discipling those 12 men. He was making them to become fishers of men. He gave each disciple undivided personal attention. He was there for them. He was there to help them. He was there to counsel them. I'm glad he's still there today to deal with us and to help us on an individual basis and help us to become. Some of us started out on a pretty low level. Some people looked at us and thought there'd never be any hope for us as a minister or as a soul winner or as a Christian worker at all for that matter. But he helped us to become. <laughs> and he helped those disciples to become fishers of men. He saw the potential in Peter, and he saw the potential in John, and he saw the potential in James, and he saw the potential in all those disciples. A lot of people looking on would have never selected those men. If they were to select 12, they'd have never selected those unlearned and ignorant men. But he knew what they could become with his help. And I'm here to tell you tonight that he wants us to become what his grace can make us to be. It was Spurgeon who said, Conversion is the most fully dis pardon me, conversion is most fully displayed when it leads converts to seek the conversion of others. We most truly follow Christ when we become fishers of men. That's a profound statement. Conversion is most fully displayed when it leads converts to seek the conversion of others. We most truly follow Christ when we become fishers of men. The qu great question is not so much what we are naturally as what Jesus can make us by His grace. There are those who had great abilities naturally that never developed the way they should have. They leaned to their own understanding and they, they rested upon their own strength and they never developed into what God really wanted them to be. But these unlearned and ignorant men yielded to the Lordship of Christ and he helped them 
to become. He wants us to develop. He wants us to become fishers of men. The psalmist said, They that sow in tears shall reap in joy. He that goeth forth and weepeth, bearing precious seed, shall doubtless come again rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. There is a brokenness and there is a a prayerfulness that goes with the winning of souls that, that nothing else can replace. It was Thomas Guthrie who said, I love your meetings for prayer. You cannot have too many of them. But you must work while you pray and pray while you work. I would rather see a man who has been saved from the gulf below casting lifelines to others struggling in the throes of death than on his knees on the rock thanking God for his own deliverance because I believe God will accept the action for others as the highest possible expression of gratitude that a, soul, that a saved soul can offer. As I read that, that, I thought about how so often we have been guilty of kneeling on the rock and thanking God for our deliverance when they were perishing on the right hand and on the left. If we'd have just thrown out a lifeline and thanked God at the same time that we were able to do it and we had sure footing. Yeah. Oh, that God would help us to be more like that. But I also notice there's someone to pattern after. There's someone to follow. Just as my good friend Dusty took me to that fishing hole and showed me how to catch those large spawning bluegill, Jesus Christ wants us to develop into soul winners. Come ye after me, and I will make you to become fishers of men. We have already seen that there's something to be done by us. We must follow the master fisherman. We've also noted that there's something to be done by him. I will make you to become. But now I'd like for us to look at the master fisherman as the example. The best training for soul winning is precisely that which he would follow if his sole object was to develop the character of Christ himself. Let's look at the master fisherman. Let's look at the method he employed. Let's look at how he did it and see what we can learn tonight. I notice, first of all, that the master fisherman fished in his hometown. In Luke chapter 4, verses 16 through 24, we read about that incident where Jesus fished at his hometown. And he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. Now I know that we live in a different age today. It, it used to be when I went to Bible school way back there in the 60s that you would ask somebody where they're from and they would tell you, I'm from X town in X state. That would be the response. And now you ask somebody where they're from and you're embarrassed that you asked a question. Well, I was born here, we lived there, we moved to this place, and we're over yonder, and now we're somewhere else. You just, you know. But to me, hometown is Fishhook, Illinois, the Manly Farm. My dad and mother have lived there ever since 1946. That's been their, their home. That's where the tap root went down way deep. And they're still there tonight. So when I think about going back to my hometown and going back to the place of my nativity, it's back at Fishhook. 
Now, some of you may have a similar background, but Jesus had that kind of a background. He grew up in Nazareth. And the Bible says there in Luke chapter 4, verse 16, he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up for to read. He went back to those that knew him and told them what God's Word said. Now, I know we're all different. And I know that the circumstances around your childhood might be different where you could not go back to the same people that you went to grade school with and high school with and, and all, but it seems as though Jesus, the very first thing that he did was he went back to the familiar fishing holes and fished there first. <laughs> he went back to the people that knew him. Ye shall be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem. Back to where... You're best known, back to your hometown. And really, if your testimony isn't valid where you came from, it's not valid anywhere else. If you don't have something to share with those who know you the best, then you don't have something to share. It, I've had a burden for the area I grew up in for a long time. Western Illinois is a wilderness as far as holiness is concerned today. Out near Quincy, Illinois, you'd be hard-pressed to find a holiness church. In fact, I know the area rather well. I don't know where you could find a sizable holiness church where anybody attends that has conservative holiness standards but for the last uh, 12 years we've been having tent meetings on my dad's farm we've been trying to share the gospel with those in the area where we had been brought up and a lot of those people haven't gotten saved yet but we have shared the scriptures with them like Jesus did now I don't know what it is for you and the people that you've come from places where you've gone to high school and public school or Christian day school, but there's something about going back to the people that know you best. And some of those people know me from the time I got saved. Some of them knew me from the time I was a child. I'll never forget the first tent meeting we had in this series, and a lady came there that had known me from my, well, knew my parents long before they were even married. And Yvonne said to me one night, and she was in her 80s, she said, well, if we don't go to heaven... It won't be Stevie Manley's fault. That touched my heart, Brother Marshall. I hope that multitudes will rise up and say that. He went back and told the people that he'd grown up with what Jesus had done. I read about a man that had demons, and Jesus delivered him. And he told him, don't go with me. Go back to thy house, back to thy family. And tell what great things I've done for thee. That's a good place to start our personal evangelism. That's a good place to start our soul winning. Back to the people that knew us in sin. Back to the people who knew us uh, when we were far from God. And begin to tell them what great things he had done for thee. <laughs> and you'd be surprised uh, how much of an impact that testimony will have on people that know you the best. There's a young man that I... <laughs> Well, we're not young anymore. But anyhow, we were young men together. He's not saved, but he comes every year to the tent meetings. He's a banker now. He's been rather successful. I saw him at Christmas time when I was with my parents. I said, Murray, I think we're going to have the tent meeting a little earlier this year. I've got a rather full schedule. I said, we're going to have it probably in early June this year. I said, will you come? He said, I'll come if you pitch the tent in January. He's not saved yet. I'm hoping that he soon will be, but God has worked some unusual things in his life. His wife's a Methodist. He doesn't go to church at all except for the tent meeting. 
But uh, she started reading the Bible a few years ago, and she'd read it all the way to the Gospels by the time we came back the following year. That may not seem like much to you, but there's people that I know and I've known ever since I was a child. And it's a privilege to go back and tell them about Jesus. Jesus gave us the example. He said he went back to where he had been brought up. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up for to read. He shared the word with those who knew him best. Let's move on. Jesus also fished in unfamiliar territory, away from home. Matthew chapter 15, verses 21 through 28 gives us the setting. When Jesus went thence and departed into the coast of Tyre and Sidon, and behold, a woman of Canaan came out of the coast and cried unto him, saying, Have mercy on me, Lord, thou son of David. My daughter is grievously vexed with the devil. These were strangers. These were foreigners. But he wasn't afraid to help them either and share with them. This woman trusted in God. You know the story how that Jesus, in a sense, kind of tried her faith and put her to the test told her that it wasn't fit to give the bread to the dogs, but nonetheless, she was persistent. And Jesus eventually said, O woman, great is thy faith. Be it unto thee, even as thou wilt. And her daughter was made whole from that very hour. I suppose in some ways it's difficult for us to strike up a conversation with those that are strangers to us sometimes. People that we don't know. You probably have heard the story. Gary Brueger has shared it and others have shared it, but I heard Brother Brueger tell the story first, and it, it touched my heart about the man, and in fact, he was a man that was involved in missions and getting ready to take a trip on a plane, a long trip, a trans-ocean flight. And he had a book to read, and those of us who do a lot of traveling know that you can redeem the time by reading while you're flying. I've read more books on airplanes in the last six years than I have anywhere else but uh, he had a book and he wanted to read the book on the airplane he was on his way to the mission field for a visit he reached down to pick up the book and as he did he felt a tap on his arm and he looked over and saw a young girl there she obviously had Down syndrome and she asked him a question did you brush your teeth today he said, yes, I did. I brushed my teeth today. And so he opened his book and started to read, and she tapped him on the arm again. Do you smoke? Uh, no, I don't smoke. That's good. It'll kill you. Okay, so he starts to read again. She taps him on the arm again and said, do you love Jesus? He said, uh, yes, I do. I'm a Christian. That's good. You'll go to heaven. Well, he thought, now I've got that taken care of. I can start reading my book. So he starts to read his book. She taps him on the arm. She said, uh, ask him. So across the aisle, there's a businessman seated there. He reaches over, taps him on the uh, arm, said, uh, our little friend over here, uh, wants me to ask you a question. Did you brush your teeth this morning? And uh, she's looking over and she smiles. And he said, yes, I brushed my teeth this morning. 
And then she said, ask him the next question. He's closed the book by now. <laughs> Might as well give up. Uh, sir, uh, she's got another question. Uh, she wants to know if you smoke. He said, no, no, I don't smoke. She smiles. That's good. Ask him the other question. Uh, sir, are you a Christian? He said, uh, no, but I'd like to be. And he had the privilege of talking to that man about spiritual things and sharing the gospel with him and in part discipling him on that flight because someone had a little plan to reach out to people they didn't know with the gospel. Did you brush your teeth? Do you smoke? Are you a Christian? Three little questions that a person with less than normal abilities was using to put a good word in for Jesus. You know, we ought to have a plan too. <laughs> Might be different than that, but that one seemed to work for her. What worked for you in sharing the good news with strangers? You know, Jesus used a net when he was reaching out to the multitudes. Sometimes we have a multitude mentality. That's all we think about, you know, spring revival, fall revival, camp meeting. That's the only evangelistic outreach we, we really specialize in. Jesus took advantage of that, though. He reached out to the multitudes. Jesus, in Matthew chapter 4, verses 23 to 25, tells us about this. And Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing all manner of sickness and all manner of disease. And his fame went throughout all Syria. And they brought unto him all sick people that were taken with divers diseases and torments. And those that were possessed of devils. And those that were lunatic. And those that had the palsy. And he healed them. Jesus was moved with compassion when he looked upon the multitude. And he shared the word with the multitude. Oh, that's so important. I thought about this facility. And I thought, you know... Here we are, we're using it for a ministerial. And that's great. Thank God for the privilege of getting together with other preachers. And it's been a refreshing time to my wife and I to, to, to be here in the sessions. And, and we thank God for the fellowship of the Allegheny Conference. It's been a blessing. But I thought, you know what? It'd be a great thing if some people got a vision and they talked to the owner of this place and said, you know, instead of having a ministerial, we're going to have an evangelistic campaign here. Instead of using an Allegheny church, this district right here is going to use this as an outreach. And we're not just going to have a bunch of old-fashioned holiness people in here. We're going to find as many sinners as we can. I mean brother-in-laws and sister-in-laws and cousins and relatives and neighbors and kinfolk and get as many sinners in a place like this as we can get them. It's neutral ground. You'd be surprised. People will come to neutral ground like this when they won't come to Wesley Methodist Church or a Wesleyan Holiness Church or a Methodist Church or a Baptist Church, but they'll come to a building like this. And you get a good preacher and some good singers and somebody that preaches a good, clear message of salvation, you might be surprised who'd come that needs Jesus as their own personal Savior. Oh, I would that God would help us to look for opportunities to reach out to the multitude. They're perishing without God. They're on their way to hell without hope and without Christ. Jesus was moved with compassion upon them. But, you know, we had time for the individuals too. He fished at night. You ever fish at night, you fishermen, you anglers? <laughs> you know there's certain kind of fish that bite best at night. Those largemouth bass, you know, just about the time the sun's going down and it's beginning to get dust. 
see those big old mouths snap out there looking for some kind of a frog or hopefully some artificial bait <laughs> and give you a challenge. I listened with great interest as Brother Richard Purchase told me a few weeks ago about fishing in your campgrounds lake out there at Oblong in the month of November and landing a six-pound largemouth bass. Maybe you need to rethink selling that campground. But anyway, he, uh, he took advantage of the opportunity. <laughs> he knew they were there, and he went after them. Jesus knew that Nicodemus had a need, and when he knocked on his door at night, he took time to deal with him as he needed dealt with. He was a man who had great knowledge of spiritual things, and he had a religious background, but he knew nothing of the new birth. But I marvel at the patience of the masters. He talked to that man as, as intellectual as he was and as well-versed in the scriptures as he was. He was totally ignorant of the new birth. But the wise fisherman took time to set the hook and wear out the fish until finally he landed Nicodemus in the net. Because after all, he helped take him down from the cross. Don't you think he was a disciple? He took time at the business place. You know, there's a lot of business people that need the Lord. They don't maybe come to your church, but uh, you do business with them. You know, Jesus took time to share the word and speak to people in their place of business. Matthew 9, 9 says, Jesus passed forth from thence and he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the receipt of custom. He is at work. And he saith unto him, follow me. And the fellow says, you punch out for me, I'm following this Galilean. And you know, he became the author of this particular book. But he took time with people in the place of business. You know, there are business people out there that are hungry and that are needy. One man went into Kansas City to a bank. And the banker said, uh, what do you know for sure? And he said, I know my sins are forgiven and I'm going to heaven. The banker said, come back to my office. I want to hear more about that. He'd heard a lot of people give hard luck stories and needed money and all that, but he'd never heard somebody take time to magnify the Lord like that in the bank. That man had the privilege of sharing the gospel with that man that led to his conversion. Jesus shared the gospel in business places. He also was willing to share it one-on-one -on -one like he did with the woman at the well. I noticed how tactful the master was there. You notice that? Give me a drink. He was thirsty. But he also had a plan. And he was using the well and the water to get through to that woman's thirsty soul. And you know how he begins to witness to her and tell her about the living water. And that living water was something she knew nothing about. She'd been seeking for something that could quench the thirst of her soul for a long, long time. She'd tried about everything there was to try. She'd been loved by many men, but never had really found the love of God. And Jesus Christ told her about the living water. And it wasn't long until she was testifying, come see a man that had told me everything that I have done. Is not this the Christ? Is not this the Messiah? She had a testimony because he took time for her. But sad to say, not all of us are catching fish. Not all of us 
are landing those six-pound largemouth bass. Sad to say, when it comes to fishing for men, and we start working on a conference report, at how many converts we've seen, we're much like the disciples long ago who said, Master, we've toiled all night and have taken nothing. We've tried, we've preached sermons, we've had fall revivals and spring revivals, we've preached some evangelistic messages, but the truth of the matter is we've toiled the whole conference year and we have caught no fishes. Jesus said, cast your net on the right side. You know, sometimes we're just not doing it the right way. <laughs> and they did just what Jesus told them to do. And you know, if you're really going to win anybody to the Lord, you've got to do it God's way or it won't work. And you've got to listen to Jesus. And as they listened to Jesus, they cast their net on the right side. They toiled all night, hadn't caught a thing. But as soon as they did what he told them to do and obeyed his, his command, what happens? They enclosed a great multitude of fishes and their nets break. And they beckoned unto their partners, which were in another ship, and they should come and help them. And they came and filled both the ships so that they began to sink. You talk about a revival. You talk about uh, uh, a campaign that was successful. That was a real successful campaign. They cast it on the right side. Sad to say... In many cases, that's exactly what's happening in our churches. But I'm here to tell you, if we'll listen to him, he'll tell us what to do. Cast it on the right side. Do it a little bit different than you've been doing it. You may be close to doing it right, but just do it just the way I tell you to do it. Not long ago, I was burdened for a woman... And I'm still burdened for that woman who is unsaved. Her mother was very ill, a Christian woman, but the daughter was not saved. And I asked the Lord how I could somehow witness to her. There was a lot of family going and coming, a lot of activity. Didn't have an opportunity to talk to her one-on-one -on -one or anything, but, but I felt impressed. The Lord said, if you'll write a letter and talk to her in the letter about Christ, then she can reread the letter. And so I begin to share. I shared with her two or three times uh, about giving her heart to Christ and took some scriptures, some simple scriptures. Took John 3.16 and personalized it. Put her name in there. Took John 1.19 if we confess our sins and put her name in there and gave it to her. Uh, by the way, my wife read the letters before gave them to the other woman. <laughs> but it touched her heart. And I'm trusting that soon she'll give her heart to Jesus Christ. You know, sometimes there's more than one bait to use. And Jesus can help us to know what bait can be used. There was a man in Illinois that attended the tent meetings that we've had there on my father's farm. He'd been backslidden for over 50 years. I've preached to him. I've seen him cry. I've seen him leave the tent under deep conviction. But it just seemed like some way, somehow, he could not give his heart to God. 
But his wife was a good holiness Christian, one of the few in that area. She'd come, she got so sick, her heart was very weak. She'd rest all day so she could come to the tent meetings. And uh, that tent meeting closed that one August. And just a few days, I don't believe it was two weeks after the tent meeting closed, she was working in the kitchen and she dropped dead of a, of a heart attack right there in their home. He was still backslidden away from God, far, far from God. I wrote him several letters. God began to work. It wasn't just me. And oftentimes when it comes to soul winning, it's a joint effort. Several people working together to get people to God. Several circumstances working together to get people to God. But uh, in the process of time, I wrote him and I said, you know, I'm looking forward to the day I can call you Brother Darty. I'm looking forward to the day when you'll be a Christian. And I testified to him via mail because he was a long ways from where I was. But before the next tent meeting rolled around, uh, he had given his heart to Christ. And when we came back to put up the tent, he grabbed me, put his arms around me, and told me himself that Jesus had saved him and changed his life so wonderfully. He's my head usher now at the tent meeting. God so wonderfully changed him. He's in the soul-saving business. He's in the catching business. What did he say? Come after me, and I will make you to become fishers of men. He's the one that can make us to become fishers of men. He wants to give us some trophies for his glory. He wants us to have some, as it were, some mounts to show that we've been fishing. This one got saved in her home. That one got saved in a place of business. This one got saved when I went back to visit my parents. And we'd gone to school together and I got an opportunity to testify to that's the kind of fishing we need to be doing. Come after me and I will make you to become fishers of men. Let's stand together, please. Thank you for listening to Convention Pulpit, a ministry of Interchurch Holiness Convention, featuring Wesleyan voices past and present. For more sermons or for more information, visit www.ihconvention.com. This ministry is made possible through the financial support of our listeners. You may give online at ihconvention.com or send your donation to IHC, Post Office Box 99, New Berlin, Pennsylvania, 17855 USA. Time has been passed. I don't want to lose the fight. I don't want to lose the fight.